Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. I read this article by Robert Wright, and this is a quote nearly 40 years ago. Political scientist James Q. Wilson and criminologist George Kelling observed that a broken window left unattended in a community signals that no one cares if windows are broken there. The broken window is thereby an invitation to throw more stones Mm -hmm. and break more windows. The message Do whatever you want here because others have done it and gotten away with it. Mm. And he is saying that recognizing that and being able to deal with it is some of the work of reparation we have to do going forward from these last four years. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, I would would say longer than the last four years, but the last four years made it feel really, really acute. the gift of the last four years has been that for some who may not have been able to see how our history has caught up to us are now seeing not everyone, but I have heard more people say, kind of say that their eyes have been opened. Um, So I, I want to say that, um, one of the things that will be happening this coming Sunday is that you will not be teaching right. with me. Yeah. We will not be teaching together. And I'm going to really miss that. Aww. Well, it's just one Sunday. I I, I do but anticipate I, that people will feel happy to hear from you too. Well, we'll, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, really, um, and I, I don't need to tell you this, but the way I like to teach is, uh, this sounds pretty erotic. It's like making love to the audience. Totally. And yeah. um, there's nobody there, you know, it's just you and me doing our stuff. I know we have the floor crew there, but they're really interested in other They things. like their phones but quite been, a bit. Been, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to think I'm going to talk about Sunday without trying to be personal toward them. Yeah. But one of the things I think I revisit in a very updated way is why I got into this theme of between the no longer mm-hmm. and the not yet in the first mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. And of course, many people have the hope that at midnight on December the 31st, 2020 will go away and we'll be in a brand new space and that's not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah I'm far too uh, pragmatic to allow myself to believe that it, it, it's yeah. magical thinking, right? That 2021 is all of a sudden gonna present this other side of the tapestry, if you will. Um, we're still in process. I read in the one of the, Houston, well, the only Houston paper today mm-hmm. that uh, the Moderna vaccine has made it to Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people are getting it yeah. and 
Yeah, especially the medical community and um, definitely have, I have several friends who have already gotten their first round. I think it's two, a two-part vaccine, but um, several people who are mental health practitioners, um, you might be in line for one actually sort of soon. Nope. They all either mental health practitioners yeah. or mental health cases. <laughs> I could qualify. <laughs> oh, how do you register for that? I'm just kidding. Do I just need to show a picture of my three kids and say, do I need one? <laughs> one of one of my clients said to me a couple of weeks ago, said, when the vaccine gets here, you should be at the top of the list to get mm -hmm. it. And I said, why is that? And she said, because you're so old. <laughs> you're so old. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I have no idea how this proverbial list is working, but people people that I know are on it. So it's so yeah. I go uh, Monday to have my annual <clears throat> nuclear stress test ah. in the tube. Yeah. I hate that oh, yeah. Thing. Yeah. But I will be able to ask my cardiologist then yeah. if I'm qualified for. Uh, I'd, I'd uh, say you meet the qualifications and, for sure. I need to do yeah. that. Yeah. Well, the, you know, it's interesting that you brought up the, the right piece about broken windows. Um, and it is an interesting idea to think about broken windows inviting more kind of laissez-faire or careless or reckless behavior. Um, it's kind of like, you could look at that in any way of our life. Well, uh, I've already had three drinks. I might as well have one more. You know what I mean? Just, I, you know, just kind of how we tend to um, loosen the boundaries or loosen our expectations as we proceed along a certain path or make certain assumptions as opposed to go and look for ways to repair the window. This, this poem that found me, as you say, is um, interesting because it, it has something to do with this. He is a, a, a poet and um, he teaches spirituality through mystical poetry and kind of illuminated manuscripts. But he, he said he, he wrote this poem thinking about the Rumi line that that says the wound is where the light enters you. And, you know, Leonard Cohen had a song that said the, mm -hmm. the same thing. Um, the crack is where the light gets in. And he was thinking about the idea of like, well, what's inside of that crack? And it's like a mirror because the mirror reflects the light, right? The mirror is what refracts the light. And his contemplation was around, well, what happens when the mirror is broken? When, when your insides, when your heart feels broken, when you feel soul shattered and how aren't we all kind of a little bit broken, right? But how do we sort of address that light entering into the broken places? And this is what he writes and it's really beautiful. Where the light enters you, broken window, sunlight, light shines through. It was sunset, what colors? I am this window you the light. We are the brokenness illuminated. The beauty is all of us. This window, the brokenness and the light is all of us. We all broken, fractured, shattered. Somewhere in us, there is a healing. The neuro comes from beyond and God is the light. The one who gave me the wounds gives the healing. 
We are wounded healers, illuminated brokenness, poets and sages tell us. The wound is where the light enters you. I look at my own heart and see scars piled on scars, so many deaths and yet life, stubborn, clings to me. Some see the injury, the pain, the hurt. I caress the scar gently. This is where the healing and the light entered me. The scars tell me I lived through it all and I grew, I survived, even thrived. The wound, the injury and the healing are now all part of me. I pause now at all the broken windows. Oh wonder, the broken window of my heart, this scattered light, how beautiful each of us, the broken, the unbroken, the healing, the light, the survival. That's by Omid Safi. That's beautiful. So I like that idea that it's not just sort of looking out at the broken windows, but we too are broken windows. You know, societies don't become the way they are without us participating in them. Mm -hmm. And I for sure, as this sort of new year rolls around, think about, well, what does it look like to embark on an intentional process of reparation, not just inside sort of truth telling and tending to the wounds, but outside too. Um, Yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I I heard Richard Rohr years ago give a series of talks called um, A Place to Stand, and it was his reflections on Archimedes mm-hmm. statement that if he had a place to stand, a fulcrum, mm-hmm. he can move the world. As he had discovered that, you know, if you have a, a fulcrum, a, a place, a still point, and then you have a lever and, and you can get far enough away on the lever that it doesn't take a lot of effort to move a really heavy object. That's right. Yeah. And Roar's point was that the fulcrum, the place to stand, was the contemplative life. The image that also evokes, um, yeah, just as you were talking, look really quickly looked up the Archimedes quote, and it is, Give me a place to stand and I shall move the world. Um, yeah, yeah, there's the other image that evokes, you know, literally is like zooming out, or I think about how the first folks in space saw Earth from space and how that zooming out allowed them to see one that Earth doesn't know this thing called territories and boundaries and, right. um, you know, state lines. <laughs> or, All right, I'm going to say that Sunday. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm yeah. so glad I'm helping you think this through. <laughs> yeah. um, and 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 Earth itself doesn't doesn't have this idea that these people belong here, these people belong here, and um, that there should be separation. Earth is a provider of life, and I yeah. think one of the astronauts said we went into space thinking we were going to discover the moon and what we discovered was the yeah. moon. 
so many that I've um, read about. I, I love uh, Mae Jemison, who was the first African-American female in space, um, and she was a doctor. You know, she said what she felt was a sense of belonging. Like, I belong there. And I belong here, I belong among the stars. And Neil deGrasse Tyson yeah. says the same thing, you know, that it can feel overwhelming and small to consider that we are just these tiny little beings in an infinite universe. But when th thought of it, I think from a contemplative point of view to get far enough away so that you can get really, really close to what it actually means to belong is mm -hmm. he felt this sense of awe that he was here at all, mm -hmm. you know? So what it kind of begs that question of what shall we do with this one wild life, right? That, um, so you're aware of the paradox that you just gave yeah. voice to. You move far away to get really yeah. close. Yeah. And we get into the still point mm -hmm. to do something. Right. Not just to enjoy the contemplative That's life. That's right. Uh, but to actually to move. Yeah something to make a difference yes. and um, I think that's why this week I want to I'm going to revisit in I hope totally updated your nude language um, what my thinking was behind living in the no longer between the no longer and the not mm. yet because <clears throat> I think a lot of people are going to face into the fact that okay 2020 is over and oh my god it still feels like 20 yeah yeah but it's you know there's nothing it, just like the the lines that we draw on the earth to distinguish territories from one another uh dates don't actually divide time right and so yeah we have that you were you were mentioning i think before you started recording um, something about how people make New Year's resolutions. Yes. Yeah. Do you make them? I no. don't either. I feel like that's just a setup. <laughs> or maybe I'm just lazy. Well, I don't they, know. <laughs> they don't. Uh, they don't yeah. work. They're like diets and yeah. budgets. Yeah. They don't yeah. work. Um, I, I used to belong to an athletic mm -hmm. club here in Houston uh, for a long time, many many years. And for the first six weeks after the first of the year, the club Every was day. just packed yeah. with people oh, working yeah. out and doing all this stuff. And I just would say to myself, you know, wait till the middle of February. Uh -huh. They're all going to go away. Yeah. And pretty soon it was just the regulars who were there yeah. all the time. It's anyway. the same with churches, right? They're, they, they're packed around certain times of the year and that lasts for a couple of weeks and then it sort of goes back to, to normal. But I wonder, it won't be that way this year uh, for in many places that churches won't be full. But it, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I like to think about intentions and I like to kind of look back and go, well, you know, Josh and I went on a walk the other night and we were talking about sort of the ups and downs of this year and what do we anticipate for this coming year as it rolls around? And, and we kind of, he doesn't make New Year's resolutions either, but we both kind of voice intentions. Like, I hope, I hope virtually schooling my kids will become a little bit easier. 
I hope, because um, they're staying home at least for the next six weeks, and then we'll make a different decision as we need to. Um, but, you know, I mean, the, and, and intentions are very different, I think, than resolutions, because intentions are something that if you, if you have a practice already, um, that you can put in the forefront of your practice, and you can say, if, I, I want to look at this broken window, and I want to peer inside of it, and I want to get curious about it. How did the crack get there in the first place? How did the stone, who threw the stone? Did I throw the stone? <laughs> am I inside the house? Am I outside the house? Like, I think those sort of intentions can be useful. You could contemplate the image of a broken window all year and think about yourself in many different perspectives on the inside of a building of a broken window, on the outside, holding the stone, being hit by the stone, being the glass. There's so many ways you could think about yourself in the image of the broken window, I think. Hmm. I, I read some more years ago that um, the only animal who soils its own cage is the human. Mm. Oh, have you ever had a bunny? Uh, for a brief period of time, we had a Vietnamese floppy-eared bunny. Wow. It would poop everywhere. We had a bunny also, and its cage was disgusting. But but yeah. it did have, it also had like a grate. And so the droppings fell beneath the grate. So she wasn't actually yeah. in her own soil. It was just the bottom part that her, yeah. yeah. But but that, that back to humans, let's not divert here. <laughs> Let me project our humanness onto bunnies. Um, <laughs> um, it is true. I mean, yeah, that's a good, it's we a do. good metaphor and it's also a good actuality. Yeah, which I never thought I would be talking about this on a podcast, but I'm just curious. You have a dog, <laughs> right? You walk your dog. <laughs> and, and so when yeah. you walk in your dog, your dog poops. You pick it up in a poop yeah. bag and you bring yes. it home. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you have. <laughs> when you sort of say that, it's like, oh, that is also kind of gross. We bring the poop home in a bag. <laughs> you do. And um, <laughs> I forget who the comedian yeah. is who points out that if you were an alien looking down on this scene, you would know that the dog is uh -huh. in charge. Right. But anyway, yeah, when you do that, have yeah. you ever noticed that some people pick up their dog's poop in the bag and tie it and just leave it on the sidewalk? Uh-huh. Yeah. Why? Why did they do that? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I, I confess that I throw it in other people's trash cans sometimes, especially on trash day when the trash cans are out. I just drop it in a trash can. Well, that's that's legitimate. You can do that. <laughs> but I don't but leave it on people's curbside. Pick it up and then put it in the... Yeah. I don't understand it. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So the window is a great um, metaphor for understanding spiritual work. Yeah. Uh, I read a book this year called Catch-22 Theology. Oh, really? Oh, I remember you talking about that a while ago. Yeah, I yeah. loved it. I loved yeah. it. It's really about how we use religious doctrines to protect us from the realities that we don't want to face. Mm. Like, we all grow old, get sick, and die. Right. And in the book, he's talking about how 
one of the things that misled religion was the mm -hmm. enlightenment mm -hmm. and he said what analogously what happened with the enlightenment the enlightenment is what introduced I don't think this is historically accurate, but I'm going to go with this metaphor. The Enlightenment is, is what introduced into people's thinking the viability of having glass windows in their house that they could see through and let more light in. Uh -huh. Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And so people looked through the glass windows and thought they were seeing the real world. Hmm. He said what glass windows replaced were stained glass windows. Yeah. And stained glass windows let a multitude of colors into a place. But in addition to that, stained glass windows were what educated people up until the Enlightenment in the stories of religion as stories, mm -hmm. as myth, as parables, as metaphors. Because most people couldn't read. Right. So they would go to these big cathedrals and they could see the biblical stories enacted in stained glass. Mm -hmm. And they absorbed them that way without this literal, logical, well, this must have really happened kind of mm -hmm. mentality. Mm -hmm. And what the author of a Kit 22 Theology said at the end was, I just wanted to let you back in the cathedral so you could enjoy the stained glass. Yeah. I love that. Do you recommend the book? You like it? Um, the book is written by a guy who's actually a Methodist minister, a district mm -hmm. superintendent who lives in Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I've communicated with him and tried to see if he would be interested in coming to be one of our speakers. And he said he would. So after the first year, I'm going to contact him and see. Mm. I can't find it. I keep looking for it as we're sitting here, and I can't find it. But I, I I'm curious about it because I like that. I like the concepts of a catch twenty two theology. There's one called zero theology. That's but, it. Oh, there we go. Okay, people, scratch your scratch your book list out and write zero theology instead of catch twenty two theology, <laughs> and then maybe reread catch twenty two by Joseph Heller, which is a classic. So. <laughs> Um, that's interesting. Yeah, there, you know, I, I, I do think that there's some gifts and this is one of the things that has kind of come out of studying cosmology is I've, I've said this before in our class, um, our ancestors didn't know science. So they had stories to tell them about the ways the world worked. Their stories helped them to understand evolution help them to understand their gods, help them to understand um, ritual and also right and wrong. So, you know, they had a, our ancestors before they knew that a, a volcanic eruption was just a, an earth process, thought that the volcano was made angry if humans misbehaved, right? Now we know that's not true. We know we don't have to throw virgins in the volcano to appease the volcano. However, there's a usefulness in the cosmology you know, I, there's there's something that we need to sort of what I think what Owen Barfield calls final participation. You know, original participation was a little bit naive um, in that it lacked knowledge. And then we have this process in between <laughs> original mm -hmm. participation and we're not yet 
to final participation, mm -hmm. where we're trying to integrate reality and creativity and science and religion. And in final participation, his idea is that we will have what he calls the clear lake of meaning sort of figured out, mm -hmm. that we will be able to participate in the stories and also know the difference between sort of myth and reality, but use the myth to enhance and create our reality. You know, Marcus Borg had a had a phrase to this um, process as far as it applies to Christian doctrine mm -hmm. or maybe to to many of the, the doctrines and beliefs that became firmly held by fundamentalists. And I was raised in this in the mm -hmm. church in the South, kind of a very benign fundamentalism where I was taught these things were true about the creation and the miracles and things like that. And it was, uh, Marcus Borg referred to it as pre-critical naivete. Mm -hmm. So that you believe the creation story is literally true. You believe the miracles is being literally true, blah, blah, blah. And I remember as a child asking my parents or pastor, why don't we see miracles like the miracles that are talked about in the Christian scriptures. Mm. And I was told that we don't see them because the age of miracles has passed. Mm. After go, after entering, uh, at least I think I have a, a toe in the water of, of um, critical naivete, uh, all I see practically are miracles. Yeah. What we're doing right now is a miracle. That's it's right. a miracle. That I can hear you see in my me. head and see you <laughs> and you're not and, even here. Yeah. And preserve it electronically for yes. people to enjoy wherever they are, whenever they are. This is a miracle that could not have been imagined 25 years ago. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it, yeah, I think again, that, that, that sort of requires us to zoom out. And, and that's where we kind of started on this dialogue is um, we need to zoom out and, and look at what is miraculous and what is phenomenal that is piecing our world together. Um, gosh, I mean, sometimes it's easy to zoom out and look at our world, especially where humans have impact on other humans and, and think only of despair. Um, and this may be where the in-between will always be is in that tension between despair and hope. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if there will ever not be despair. I don't know if that's even the goal, so to speak, because if we don't know despair, we don't know love. If we don't know grief, we don't know joy. It's integrating those two. And, and I think the thing that our culture has not succeeded at, and this is on every level, racially, socially, economically, spiritually, emotionally, it's integrating. The, the great prayer that is attributed to St. Francis, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace, mm -hmm. acknowledges, although St. Francis didn't write this, acknowledges the inevitability of hate, injury, doubt, despair, darkness, and sadness. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so those of us who use that prayer as kind of a guide for what we can aspire to 
what we can intend to use your word intention mm -hmm. that we can that we can bring love and forgiveness and and faith and healing to those places where things exist mm -hmm. and i was trying to think today maybe you could help me with this jana macy in her book on hope said that there mm -hmm. was three stories going on at one time mm -hmm. one is business as usual mm -hmm. what were the other two do you remember okay the first of these is business as usual the defining assumption is that there is little need to change the way we live. Economic mm. growth is regarded as essential and the central plot is about getting ahead. The second story, you're gonna go, oh yeah, as soon as I say it. The great unraveling <laughs> draws attention to the disasters that business as usual is taking us toward, as well as those it has already brought about. And the third story is held and embodied by those who know the first story is leading us to catastrophe and who refuse to let the second story have the last word. So involving the emergence of new and creative human responses, it's about transition from indust an industrial society committed to economic growth to a life sustaining society committed to healing and recovery. This is the great turning. This is well, what, yeah, it's, it's Joanna Macy has this beautiful essay about becoming Shambhala warriors. Uh -huh. And the Shambhala warriors participate in the healing and recovery of the world. Is that in her book or is that a separate essay? It's a separate essay. I can send it to you. Would you yeah. send it to me? I will. Because I, yeah. I would like to read it and have it. Um, um, this is an advertisement. I'm giving an advertisement now. I'm giving a webinar. <laughs> I'm giving a webinar or a seminar talk for the Jung Center here in Houston on January the 11th called yes. having hope in a time of disaster and distrust yeah and i want to re reference joanna macy yeah in that. yeah well she's great because you know the, the subtext is um the world is going to poop to bring it back to our earlier discussion of dog <laughs> poop. <laughs> so and so now what you know it's she's kind of like so what you still gotta you still gotta act with loving kindness mm -hmm. and compassion you know, no matter what our end looks like, whether we go up in flames or we somehow keep bending this arc toward justice and love, um, her thing is like, okay, so what? You still got to participate in this, uh, you know. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know how to say what I'm about to say without risking alienating someone. And I certainly don't want to do that. But it is appalling to me that half of the voting population in this country thinks that the broken window policy is okay. Yeah. I, you know, I think, I really think we have this strong thing about um, people getting what they deserve. And I, I think that is a really um, destructive way to think, you know. What do you mean people getting what they deserve? If you live in a neighborhood with broken windows, then somehow that neighborhood did something to deserve it. Oh. They're perpetuating their own problems. They're not I doing see. anything. So what we do is we say those people over there deserve what they've got. But as soon as our window breaks, we're like, oh, how did this happen? <laughs> right? So I, I, it's, it's, again, I think this lack of being able to look at the broken windows interior 
interiorly and and to only be able to say to the look out and say well that person must have done something to deserve their broken windows i'm listening to eddie glaude's recent book um called begin again he he is um he loves james baldwin and this book is really a seminal work around the writings of james baldwin and you know he he's critiquing america's tendency to project onto black americans that they should be grateful for what america has provided and mm. that and 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 it's it's he of course says it much more eloquently than i can hear but but that's one of our broken windows this kind of idea well you should be grateful we have the civil rights movement you know, his point is well we wouldn't have needed the civil rights movement if we didn't have separate but equal if we didn't have enslavement if we didn't have you know i mean all of our our very torrid history and he really he is really speaking a lot as is brian stevenson and they're coming from two different places um, about the need for telling the truth about our history if we are going to keep monuments of abraham lincoln even we must also tell the truth about his process. If we are gonna keep monuments of George Washington, we must also tell the truth that he held slaves. Mm -hmm. if, you know, and, and so, so he is really, uh, he's like an untangler, right? He's like, we gotta untangle these lies that we have as a society committed ourselves to believing because we don't wanna believe it was ever that bad. And I think that when a lot of people hear the word hope, mm -hmm. they think that it might mean somehow transcending something or figuring out a way to get around something. But realistic hope has got to deal with what is. That's we have exactly to deal right. with absolutely yeah. what is. You yeah. know who Shane Claiborne is, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I got I'm on Shane Claiborne's tweet feed, Twitter feed. Uh huh. Or let me correct that. Ordinary life is on Shane Claiborne's yeah. Twitter feed. I don't have a Twitter account, but I, I do. Uh, we do have one for Ordinary Life, mm -hmm. and I follow Shane Claiborne. And you know, we've been in the midst of this big political struggle in Washington and about the stimulus checks, where they give six hundred dollars or two thousand dollars or whatever it is, and. Um, Claiborne tweeted something today that just said, let's keep this in perspective. While Congress is debating whether it's 600 or 2000, Congress gives the military $61 trillion a month. That was in the tweet. Yeah. Just to give you some perspective. That's right. That. Yeah. And that's a broken window, right? Let's yeah, let's right. let's take care of our defense systems without taking care of our people. <laughs> yeah, and it's just plain as the nose on anybody's face that if you took just half the money that we allot for defense, <clears throat> we would still have more than enough to pay for all of our defense needs. Plus, mm -hmm. we could feed all the hungry people in America. Right. right. I was so touched by my youngest son um, recently. And this is so the mind of children. I think I've told you once that my middle son, once we were driving home from Target and we saw a homeless man on the corner and he said, well, can't he just come 
live with us. He didn't have a home. You know, it was so um, sweet. And I uh-huh. didn't have a good answer as to why not. Nothing I said was going to sound kind, <laughs> you know? Um, and so instead we gave him a box of snack bars. But the other day, just before Christmas, my, my father, Phil, gave the boys a telescope, I think I mentioned. Uh-huh. And we got to see the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction. Um, and that was the night that he gave them the telescope. But I will say, he gave them a telescope and then took it home and said, I just need to keep playing with it. <laughs> just to make sure it works okay. I was like tasting the cookie dough and saying, I just need to make sure it's not poisonous. So we, we did finally get the telescope back. But that night when we were looking through it, the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction, there was a bus stop, a covered bus stop, where we were outside. There was a young woman, homeless apparently homeless sleeping on it and we had brought a thing of hot cocoa and my youngest son poured a hot cocoa and he said I'm just gonna take this over to her and I was like of course of course you can you know but that's just how a child thinks right it's not even it's not even it's not even a question of if or or, or, or why or how it's just, I'm going to take this over to her. Is that okay, mommy? Of course it's okay. <laughs> you know, wow. um, we need leaders who have hearts like that making our financial decisions, you know, how do we also give her a cup of hot chocolate? <laughs> I don't know that. Mm. Yeah. Well, we have um, designed a political system that just is about as corrupt as it can get. Yeah, right now, absolutely. Right now we have we have that, and uh, I wish it weren't the case. But well, to get back to where we started, and maybe this is a good place to sort of finish up, is we have never tended to our broken windows. Um, we have many broken windows that maybe we've tried to tape it up or maybe we've tried to look the other way or maybe we've tried to pretend it's not there. Um, I don't know that we've ever actually repaired them. So do you have any rituals that you do to see the year out and the new year in? Hmm. Well, lately we don't stay up till 12. <laughs> lately we're in bed and reading and sometimes we're still reading by midnight and we go, oh, happy new um, um, you know, we, we have some nightly rituals that I think that we get a little bit more enhanced around times like this. And, and one of our nightly rituals around uh, that around the dinner table, and this has been a gift of the pandemic is used to, I, w- I would make dinner for everybody, but it seemed like the kids dinner was ready before the adult dinner. So they would kind of start eating and then we would eat. And now, um, we've been all eating at the same time around the same table very consistently and not in kind of stages. We're always together around mealtime. It's just, we weren't always eating at the same time. And now we're making, mm-hmm. we've been making the last year or so a really good effort to do that. And so part of our ritual has been kind of, um, you know, that Charles Dickens novel that starts, these were the best of times, these were the worst mm-hmm. of times. And it's a question we ask at the dinner table, best part of your day, worst part of your day. Um, and uh, right before Christmas, we asked what's been the best part of this year and the worst part of this year. I feel like that's a good ritual. And even with kids to just say, what's been hard and what's mm-hmm. been good and what are you looking forward to? 
Um, mm -hmm. We have those kinds of rituals, but we haven't we haven't built up this sort of need for New Year's resolutions or anything like that. Do you have a ritual in that outgoing year? Um, oh, we used two years ago, go to the symphony. Um, the symphony would have a New Year's Eve performance and we would do that. Sherry loves the classical music. I think, no, not really. We're like you, we'll probably be in bed before midnight. Mm -hmm. um, my, my ritual has always been for many years now to take off work from Christmas to the first work day of the, of the new year. And mm -hmm. uh, I've really enjoyed the time to kind of clean up some stuff and yeah. cook. That's my fun thing to do. Yeah. Cook. Probably good for both of us to have a, this, these two weeks off and yeah. um, They'll see you on Sunday and I'll miss being there with you, but I'll be back the following Sunday. And I just let people know that we have decided that when um, Holly and I are back co-teaching, we're going to pick up again where we left off in the Sermon on the Mount and yeah. try to <clears throat> see how to rethink some of the teachings and stories in light of the new, in yeah. light of evolutionary cosmology. I still just have it of referring to it as a new cosmology. Right. There's nothing new about it. <laughs> it's about 14 billion years old. <laughs> it's just our it's minds just, are finally getting it's right. It's new to us. <laughs> you know, I, I, after the adultery and divorce one, we were both a little bit like, about that one. I think we handled it pretty well, though. There's yeah. some there's some good topics coming up. You know, loving I, your enemies. The by the way, is, I, yeah. I want to get this out. Um, yeah. When we were talking a minute ago about what a miracle this is, mm -hmm. uh, some people know that uh, Sherry had brain surgery this yes. year to deal with a condition and it's in the process of being worked out, but it's enormously successful. And I subscribe to the Disney Channel, Disney Plus Channel, to um, primarily let her uh, and me too have the opportunity to see Hamilton during her recovery. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we watched that, but I now have Disney plus uh -huh. and Apple TV. And I was sitting in the couch last night thinking how many options we have of things to watch. Yeah. Uh, educational. We're watching a series, educational series right now called origins. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a series on that we started watching the first episode last night called On Point about young ballet dancers. Oh, wow. It's, yeah. And um, I thought, you know, even five years ago, this was not available. Yeah. And now just in an instant, you can have all these things at your fingertips. Yeah. No now, now we're impatient if it isn't there right now. <laughs> I know. When I had to reset the Zoom account, I was like, ah, but hey, five minutes later, well, we're, we're here. <laughs> I, I love you. I, I appreciate you. you and Happy New Year. All the same back at you. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye.